Hello and welcome to the Week 7 Football Outsiders Coach Rankings Show. I'm your host, Ian O'Connor, Senior Data Analyst here at Football Outsiders. And joining me as he does every week is Vince Verheide, Football Outsiders Assistant Editor. Today, we'll be talking about some of the matchups from this past weekend. There were some big upsets as well as that big game with Buffalo and Kansas City. We'll be looking forward to some games this weekend. And we'll also take a look at the top five and the bottom five coaches for the first time this year in our Critical Call Index ranking. Before we do uh, our usual order of business, talk about Underdog, which is a very fun uh, fun platform. Come play with us on Underdog Fantasy, and you can double your first deposit up to $100 using promo code OUTSIDERS. Now, even with NFL best ball season over, which is what they are known for, Underdog does have other user-friendly game formats to spice up all of the action. They've got a Battle Royale, which is a six-round best ball-style draft, Gives you simpler chances to win than you have with those traditional daily fantasy sports sites or their pick'em games, which is basically prop betting, wagering on players' chances to go higher or lower than their projected stat lines, kind of building out a parlay with those players. Those are available even in states where traditional prop betting currently is not available. Underdog is the fastest-growing fantasy site around, so join the fun over at underdogfantasy.com or download the Underdog app in the App Store and use promo code OUTSIDERS now to double your first deposit up to $100. With that in the rearview mirror, let's get right into what was the big story from last week. We were heading into that Buffalo-Kansas City game. was the game of the week, anticipated to be one of the games of the year. Now, scoring is down across the league, and this one was no different. It wasn't a high-scoring game, as many thought, but it was still a good game nonetheless. Another very good, entertaining game between those Bills and Chiefs. Vince, did anything stand out to you from this game that you maybe didn't expect from either side, or did this kind of play out the way you thought it would? Well, I expected the Chiefs to have relative trouble with the Buffalo Bills because the Buffalo Bills give everyone trouble because they have the best defense in the league. Um, so that their total outcome is not that surprising to me. Uh, and and as, as far as what they did, most of it is just be the Buffalo Bills and be the best defense in the league. Um, there is some interesting strategic stuff they did, and this is some notes I got from uh, Brian Knowles in the uh, FO Data show earlier this week. So I was going to blatantly steal from him because it's a good answer. Uh, the Bills don't typically drop eight into coverage very often. From week one to five, they only did that about 2% of the time. But when they played uh, Kansas City, they dropped eight into coverage over a third of the time, uh, 36% to be precise. And, uh, you know, dropping eight and rushing three is a similar tactic that Cincinnati used in most of the AFC Championship game last year when they beat Kansas City. Um, it takes away the, uh, the, the the big plays downfield and forces them to kind of march down, taking small chunks at a time. And I don't want to overstate this. I don't want to uh, say it's like the blueprint or the secret or kryptonite for stopping Patrick Mahomes and company, but it it takes away what they do best and uh, makes them work a little harder at uh, what they're not necessarily good at. And, um, you know, it, it worked for Buffalo because they're Buffalo. It won't work for a lot of teams. You you can get away with rushing three over and over and over again if one of those three is Von Miller. Uh, there's 31 defenses that don't have Von Miller. There's 20 or 25 that don't have anyone close to Von Miller. So most NFL teams, if they just try to drop eight and rush three, they'll let Mahomes sit back in the pocket for a half hour, and eventually someone will get open. Absolutely, yeah. With with Buffalo, it's combining that coaching strategy along with the talent and the players to do it. As you mentioned, the number one defense in the league so far, number one offense in the league as well. Buffalo, number one in offense and defense. First team to do that through six games uh, in, what, 19 years, I think it's been. So it's been a long time since that's happened. Uh, the, the 03 Buccaneers in, like, week six were first in both uh, offense and defense. I, I, I'm pretty sure that's right. Aaron Schatz has the full details in this week's DVOA analysis on footballoutsiders.com. But uh, 
Uh, yeah, it's not often that you see a team this great on both sides of the ball at any point in the year, even though it, you know it, it is still kind of early. We're about a third of the way through, a third of the way through the season now. Now the other side of the ball, uh, Buffalo didn't have their best output either. And if you're going to ask me how did Kansas City shut down Buffalo or, or uh, what did Kansas City do to shut down Buffalo, the answer is practically nothing. It was mostly Buffalo beating themselves. Uh, in the first quarter, they had a fumble snap in the red zone that was recovered by Kansas City. On I think it was on second down. In the second quarter, they had a second and goal from the three. And you're thinking there at least we get three points out of this. Instead, Josh Allen, those three straight incompletions, uh, they did not run the ball one time after having second and goal from the three, even though they had already rushed for almost 40 yards on that drive. So they were moving the ball on the ground. Uh, so they could come, come, come away with zero points there instead of three or even seven. And then in the fourth quarter, the Bills had the ball just across mid, midfield. Uh, Devin Singletary was stuffed for a loss on third and one. And then Allen threw incomplete again on fourth and three. So there's three drives where the Bills get zero points, where with just a little bit execution, they could have had 17 or even 21. So can't see escaped uh, holding the Bills to only 24 points. It could have been a lot worse. I definitely ended up, like I said, being one of, one of the better games or, that we expected of the weekend. There were some good games out there, though. You said you weren't too surprised about Kansas City's output. Now, there were some games where we were surprised at the outcome. And there were three upsets. The biggest spread-wise was Pittsburgh over Tampa Bay. Steelers stopped a game-tying two-point conversion. Kenny Pickett connected with Chase Claypool. Or, sorry, Mitch Trubisky connected with Chase Claypool. Forgot he came into that one for two third-and-long conversions to ice the game. A third-and-15 and a third-and-10 or third-and-11, I think. What were Mike Tomlin and those Pittsburgh coaches able to do to upset the Buccaneers? Or was it the fact Tom Brady was at Robert Kraft's wedding and wasn't focused in on this game? Well, uh, well... The, the biggest issue is it, it's less what did Pittsburgh do to win and more what did Tampa Bay do to lose because uh, there's a lot of injuries going, going on around a lot of injuries going on around the NFL right now. We'll talk about that more here in another game, but the Steelers of course are still missing TJ Watt, their top pass rusher in this game. They're missing four starting defensive backs, including uh, Minka Fitzpatrick. That's a recipe to throw and throw and throw and throw and throw and just let Tom Brady and Mike Evans and Chris Godwin go win the game for you. And the Bills but, did it before, uh, so we all expected that, I think. Yeah. Uh, but as Derek Klassen detailed in any given Sunday this week, that's not what the Bucks did. Uh, they kept running on first and 10 over and over and over again, even though it was going nowhere. They kept setting Tom Brady up in third and long and, and you know, He's converted a lot of third and longs in his life, but uh, he, it's not the it's not the the game plan should not be let's get to third and long and let, let and then let Tom Brady win. So Brady was in third and long all day, uh, couldn't execute as well as we expect Tom Brady to do. And frankly, on the other side, the Steelers did a lot of the same thing, especially when uh, after Kenny Pickett left the game and Mitchell Trubisky came in, they were handing off on first and second down most of the time and only passing when necessary, but. For 15 minutes on one particular Sunday afternoon, Mitchell Trubisky outplayed Tom Brady. And he was converting those third and longs. Most of them are Chase Claypool, but it was like a third and 11 and a third and 15 that he, that he was picking up. So it, it's a little bit more just random fluke. Uh, you know, for, like I say, for 15 minutes, Trubisky was better than Brady. I don't expect that to happen again. Um, but a, a poor game plan uh, by Tampa Bay created a close game. And then the Steelers executed better in that close game, and that's how you get away, uh, come away with the win. 
Uh, any given Sunday in the NFL. That's what you call it. Any given Sunday. That, that's, that's why they play the games. And sticking in the NFC South, the team that the Bucks just beat narrowly, the, we have the Falcons, who've now won two of their last three. They upset the 49ers this week. Now, we know that 49ers defense was banged up. You just alluded to that with the injuries. Also, Atlanta had a defensive score and a couple interceptions in this one. One came on the last play of the first half, uh, so not really predictive or anything it like that. Yeah. So what did you see, though, from the Falcons in terms of strategy uh, that allowed them to pull this upset, or was it mainly just that the 49ers are so banged up? Well, yeah, I'm going to ask you a question here. It's kind of rhetorical, but what can you tell me about Charles Omenahu, Kevin Givens, Oren Burks, or Hassan Ridgeway? Do you have any data off the top of your head about any of those four names? So the Bears come to mind. Wasn't Oren Burks, was he a Bear at one point? Uh, he may have been. Uh, the, the answer oh, is yeah. those are four guys, four guys who have been longtime backups for lots of teams around the league who are all starting in the defensive front for San Francisco against Atlanta. Uh, just just a bunch of bench players who had to be thrown into a starting role because everyone's hurt. And so Atlanta, who loves to run the ball anyway, uh, there was a clip of Arthur Smith in one of their wins earlier this year. I forget which one, but he was mic'd up. And uh, younger listeners should uh, mute their microphone or uh, speakers for about 10 seconds. But as Arthur Smith said, once they got the lead, they were going to run the piss out of the ball. And uh, they did that again against San Francisco here. 40 runs, only 14 passes and a couple of sacks in there. Uh, Mark, Marcus Mariota doing a, lo uh, a lot of scrambling, some option runs. Uh, he, he had a big game. I think I think just one incompletion when all, when all was said and done. And a, a couple of touchdowns. So, yeah, the, 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 the game plan was just, well, this is what we want to do anyway. And on a normal Sunday, they would, the, the 49ers would probably dominate this matchup, but it's not a normal Sunday. Half their defensive front is gone. I have more than that. You know, most of their defensive front is gone. So we're going to run all over their backups until their backups stop us, and their backups never really stopped them. And uh, they get that defensive score, which is kind of a lucky break. Uh, they get the other turnovers, and they just kind of, you know, they, they, their defense played better than expected against uh, Jimmy Garoppolo, but it wasn't a huge, uh, you know, dominant performance. They they got ahead. They stayed ahead. And Kyle Shanahan's offense is not built to rally. It's built to win from the first quarter on. And, uh, and that's what happened. Uh, the Falcons got out to an early lead, and they did nothing to give that lead away. And uh, the Niners couldn't get a stop when they needed it and uh, made a couple mistakes. And there you go. Atlanta wins. A big game from Brandon Ayuk. Uh, scored a couple touchdowns there. But Atlanta is still too much, like you said, and is now or is still the only team that's undefeated against the spread this year. They're 6-0. and they're a feisty team, even in their losses. You know, they blew the one game in week one to the Saints, uh, letting them come back. But they're 6-0 against the spread, and, and they keep it in. They got, I picked against them twice uh, each or each of the last two weeks, saying, oh, it's going to come to an end this week in the, the uh, betting and fantasy show with Tom Strack. And I've been wrong, so I guess, I mean, I, I could keep riding that. It might be right eventually, but they've been playing playing teams close this year. Yeah, uh, there, there, there's a lot of uh, uh well, the, the Falcons are kind of the, the good bad team, where they're uh, not necessarily a good football team, they're, 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 but they're a tough out, and they're going to get some wins over good teams, like they did here against San Francisco. Uh, and surprising because they were one of the teams picked by the Football Outsider staff before the season. A lot of them had, uh, I, I'm pretty sure, a lot of teams, a, a lot of staff writers had Atlanta as the team to get the first draft pick. I picked the Giants to get the first draft pick, and they're even more surprising, and that continues week after week after week. Absolutely. And I, I mentioned there were three big upsets this week. There were four. I, I 
I kind of made myself forget about that Packers loss to the Jets. Uh, but both <laughs> New York teams, perhaps we should say New Jersey teams, so Dawson Knox doesn't come for us. But they pulled upsets this week. The Jets topped the Packers, and the Giants took down the Ravens. I want to focus on the Giants that you just, just brought up there. While Nick Sirianni is the odds-on favorite right now, Brian Dable seems to be the people's choice and the consensus or the conventional wisdom pick for coach of the year so far. What did you see from New York against Baltimore or maybe it was things Baltimore struggled to do against New York or even just throughout the season that allowed the Giants to pull this upset and get to 5-1? and one? Yeah, it's a little bit of both about what a little bit of both about what the Giants are doing as far as just this game or just the season because they, they they won this with their usual modus operandi, which is let's not beat ourselves. It's, it's, it's not really an X's and O's thing, not really a personnel thing, as far as just let's let, let's play well, let's limit our mistakes, let's make the most of our opportunities, let's not have any waste of possessions, and uh, essentially sit back and wait for the other team to melt down. And in 2022, that's a very effective strategy in the NFL if you can play, they can pull it off. But this game against the Ravens, they won the turnover margin two to one. They made way fewer penalties, only three for 25 yards for the Giants, 10 for 74 yards for Baltimore. So th this is what the Giants do. They just kind of hang around, hang around, and don't let the game be out of reach. Just keep it within one score, maybe maybe 10 points. And then wait for you to make mistakes because inevitably most NFL teams these days will make mistakes and uh, capitalize on those opportunities at the end of the game when they get them. And that is exactly what the Giants did here. And uh, eventually, you would think, because you know they're, they're, they're very low in our uh, DVOA rankings, they're an underdog against the Jaguars this week uh, in Las Vegas. So, you know, people kind of recognize that the talent gap between these uh, the Giants and most teams still exists. And eventually, this this kind of uh, wait for other teams to beat themselves strategy won't work every single time, and it'll eventually catch up to them. But it's it's working for now, and uh, you know, full credit to Ryan Dable for getting the most out of this roster. Uh, they you know came back against the the Packers as we know now Baltimore two weeks in a row, and you mentioned they're not very high in DVOA. But I was looking doing some some research for uh, something else uh, this morning, and the Giants are actually since week three, coming out of that loss to the Cowboys, our sixth, I think, overall in DVO, actually have the number one passing offense in the last three, three weeks, which I was surprised at that, but that, that's what the numbers say. So they're, I guess, getting a little bit better, but still overall, they've had some easy, they had a game against Chicago in there, who's not good. They're still, you know, being hurt by the game uh, against Carolina. Um, that, you know, was, a, was pretty close there against a really bad team. But yeah, they're, they're finding ways to win, like you said, and that's just kind of a credit to Brian Dable. Uh, again, kind of the conventional wisdom uh, pick for coach of the year so far, even though Nick Sirianni is quite a bit ahead in, in the odds that Mike and I looked at on Monday. But another one, that, that kind of wraps up a weekend full of upsets the, this past weekend. So expect more scorings down. So, you know, teams can keep it close and find ways to win. Want to go into yeah. looking. We don't have a ton this week, but uh, uh, one of the worst decisions of the week and one of the best decisions of the week that I pulled the bet or the worst. We'll start with Bill Belichick. Is no stranger to these lists throughout the years. Bits. Oh, I I thought you went to say something. Oh, sorry. No, I I, I thought you were cutting out. Just before we move on, you mentioned the Giants being number one in pass defense DVOA. The or excuse me, pass offense DVOA the past uh, three weeks here. That stunned me. <laughs> I looked up uh, Daniel Jones' numbers over the last three weeks. He's completing 70 percent of his passes. Uh, seven and a half yards per pass is pretty average, but the, the, he's he's only thrown two touchdowns the past three weeks, but hasn't thrown an, an interception. 
and hasn't thrown or excuse me, he's only given up six sacks. So uh, th- that is more of what we're talking about. Don't throw interceptions. Don't give up sacks and just just be OK when you're actually throwing the ball. And then and, and that, that that sticks with uh, you know, that, that, that jives with what the, the Giants have been doing all, 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 uh, all year. Don't get a lot of highlights. Just don't make mistakes. Don't beat yourself. So yeah. I wanted to get that in before I moved into the uh, uh, decisions here we're going to talk about now. Absolutely. And that just goes back uh, to everyone that's played uh, youth sports, even high school sports uh, in college. It's all about fundamentals. Like if, if you're a fundamentally sound team, especially in the yeah. NFL where the talent gap is so close with a lot with most of these teams, they're going to find ways to win games, especially close games like there are a ton in the NFL. So that's what they're doing really well. And we'll see. Hopefully they can keep it up. I would imagine they will. But did you mention on to the decisions? Bill Belichick had a fourth and goal halfway through the first quarter. It's a scoreless game. Playing against the Browns, yeah, he's got Bailey Zappi at quarterback, but it's early in the game. Chose to kick the field goal on fourth and goal from the one. This was a, a 5.2% decrease in pre-snap win probability. Top five on the week. Uh, Belichick, it doesn't really surprise me. I probably doesn't surprise you, but early on, a lot of times we talk about these decisions early on, too. You can go either way. There's a lot of football left to be played, so you can kind of make that argument to go for it or to not. But at this point in the NFL, I think we see most coaches go for it in this situation. Yeah, it's a bit of a head-scratcher because we talked about last week about how uh, terrible Cleveland's defense has been against the run. Now, they were much better against New England, uh, and maybe Belichick, you know, seven minutes, eight minutes into the game, whatever it was, maybe he could already tell that they were uh, not as... uh, They didn't have as dominant a matchup advantage there as we all expected. Uh, Ramondre Stevenson had a couple of highlights and some pretty good yardage totals, but his two touchdowns were the only times he ran for a first down in the entire game. Wow. You know, like 17, 18 carries, whatever it was, and uh, he did not pick up a first down except for those two touchdowns. And between that inconsistency and the uh, huge opponent adjustments for playing the Browns defense, which had been the worst in the league by a mile, uh, I think they're, I think they're 30th now. But anyway, uh, Stevenson was actually our a very surprising last place running back in our in our quick reads rankings this week, which surprised even me. Uh, but when I broke down the numbers, I said, okay, I, I get that. That kind of makes sense. But uh, anyway. As it pertains to this decision, you know, maybe, uh, and I, I don't have the data in front of me or the play-by-play, but uh, maybe Belichick could already tell this is not going to be a big game for Stevenson. Uh, didn't trust him to pick up the first down on in short yardage here. That, uh, 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 excuse me, I didn't trust him to pick up the first down in short yardage. That, uh, that you know, he, he, didn't, he didn't have a good day. He was not having a good day. He did not go on to have a good day. Didn't trust him to pick the first down. Chose the safe play, kick the field goal instead, and uh, that's what happened. And, and between that, you know, if you if you don't trust your running back, let's not trust our third string, you know, quarterback any more than we have to. Let's make his life easy. Let's go ahead and kick this field goal. Let's get our points early in the quarter. We don't got to go chasing points right now. Uh, it's unusual. It's surprising given how the matchup looked going into the game, but in hindsight, I get it. And I, you mentioned the play-by-play. I pulled it up and on that drive. So they got the inter- an interception, started at their own 36. Stevenson had rushes of three yards, two yards, four yards, um, say one yard. Did have a seven-yard run that got them down pretty far. But then they had first and goal at the one, and he got no gain, no gain. Zappy had an incomplete pass and then decided to kick the field goal. So he kind of, yeah. looks like he kind of went that way of we've already failed three times. Uh, yeah. I'm not going to take the chance, and we're going to take the field goal there, um, especially not having any really very good runs other than that seven-yarder on that first drive. So, 
maybe can't fault him too much there, like you say, kind of playing it, uh, basically what had happened, what he was thinking from this game. Uh, on the other side, though, best decisions, we've got Mike Tomlin, who historically is not very good at fourth down decision making, at least over the last few years. Dead last in our CCI rank this season. Still only, uh, sorry, he, still he's dead last last year in our CCI rank. Only 23rd this year, but had a really good call this week. First offensive drive of the game. Fourth and one at the Tampa Bay 11 was the sixth best fourth down decision to go for it this week at about 4% increase in win probability. Ended up converting and then scoring a touchdown two plays later. So really good one here. Again, going back to what we talked about uh, with the strategy of this game and a lot of things the, the Buccaneers didn't do well. This was something that the Pittsburgh Steelers did do well, specifically Mike Tomlin being aggressive here and kind of starting off the game with a touchdown. Yeah, and uh, I mean, we talked about it. This is the biggest upset of the week. I don't know if Mike Tomlin knew exactly what the spread was, but I'm sure he knew that on paper he didn't have as much talent as the other guys did. And gambling and high-risk, high-reward, you know, uh, play calling, like going for it and fourth and one, that's an underdog strategy. And, you know, I'm sure he said, listen, we got a fourth down here, fourth and one inside the 11. I don't know how many times we're going to get to the red zone today. Turns out they didn't get to the red zone very often. We got to make the most of the chances that that we can, and uh, and let, let's let, let's go get this one. And they did. And uh, you know, having that early lead, you know, it, it, you know, it's always better to be ahead than behind. Duh, that is true for all sports, but in football especially, it's critical because it lets you change your play calling. Um, the, the the clock at that point becomes your friend. Uh, you know, you get, getting an early lead is the key to a lot of big wins, a lot of big upsets. And maybe he doesn't make that same decision. If it's uh, the third quarter, maybe he plays it safe then. Uh, but, you know, the opportunity to get out to an early lead, uh, build confidence in your team, uh, and, and give you the play-calling advantage. It's, it's easier to call plays when you're ahead than when you're behind. So, um, given all of that, it, it, it's, you know, and again, it's hindsight. It seems like a very obvious decision. But for coaches like Mike Tomlin, who don't always like to, uh, you know, don't always like to take risks, it's kind of a bit of a surprise, I suppose. But it's, it, on paper, it looks like a very obvious decision to me. And you mentioned the underdog strategy. Uh, a lot of times we do even see coaches not go for it. And Tomlin, in his past, over the past few years, probably, like you said, maybe doesn't go for it then because he's been very conservative, even when he doesn't have the best teams last year. Uh, they weren't great and, like I said, finished dead last in fourth down decision-making last year and still would not go for it even with that team that he had. So really surprising to see, but we like to see it. And Tomlin's been weird. I, I feel like he's obviously overall been more conservative. And I, I guess this is only looking at uh, uh, fourth downs and not things like two-pointers. But there's been times where he's just randomly gone for two for no particular reason. Like, you know, down down one at the uh, in the first quarter. You know, we're down six, seven. Instead of tying the game, let's just go for two and maybe get ahead. And uh, and and then other weeks, you know, in the same situation, he has not done the same thing. So it's, it's inconsistent and erratic. Um but on, on the whole, he's definitely a more conservative guy. And when the, the two-point conversion or the, the extra points got moved back to the 15-yard line, two-point conversion at the two years ago, I think it was it was the Steelers that within the first like three or four games went for it, went for two like on their first and second touchdown for like the first four games or something like that. Like mm-hmm. had a much better team then, but uh, right. was very aggressive like to your point. And then it kind of like backed off a little bit. I don't know if it was the new thing of, hey, it's, it's two point conversion from the two versus the 15 yard line on the kick. Now we're just going to take our chances, but uh, good to see. You don't expect him to necessarily turn a corner this year and all of a sudden be a, a Frank Reich or a, um, or a Peterson or one of those guys, but 
good to see that even in some of those situations, he chooses to, to go for it, makes the right decision, and goes aggressive. Then moving on to this is the first time we've brought these rankings out this year, our CCI rankings again. Uh, for those of you who aren't aware, CCI is Critical Call Index, and it's a ranking of coaches based on how much win probability they gain or lose on fourth down decisions. So going for it when they should, kicking when they should, uh, choosing not to go for it when they should go for it is negative. You lose win probability on that before the snap. And through six weeks, the top five coaches, Sean McDermott, Cliff Kingsbury, Nick Sirianni, Dan Campbell, and Kevin Stefanski. Now, none of those really surprised me from having having done these rankings and really calculated and, and been kind of in charge of these rankings the last few years. Uh, does anything surprise you, Vince, uh, just from the names on that list or based on things you've seen? I know one of these guys we've already talked about this year about how he's good and bad at the same time. Yeah. I don't know if surprising is the right word, but, you know, every time a coach goes for it on fourth down uh, and fails, he is roasted, and they never the, – the, the coaches who go for it on fourth down and succeed don't get a lot of praise. And I want to uh, take these rankings and just go knocking on sports writers' doors across the country and say, listen, everyone thinks the Bills and Eagles are the two best teams in the league this year, and they rank first and third – in uh, fourth down decision making, which basically means they're the most aggressive coaches. And he, there's a few, there are a few times when these numbers say coaches should kick and instead they go for it. But by and large, when coaches make mistakes, it's, it's being too conservative and kicking. And uh, Sean McDermott has been, you know, one of the most aggressive coaches in the league this year in fourth down. Nick Sirianni has been one of the most aggressive coaches in the league in fourth down. It's working for them. It's a big, big part of why they're leading the conferences. It's a big, big part of why they're the favorites right now, right now to meet in the Super Bowl. Um, and it helps, of course, they have good offenses. You know, the, 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 the Bills can do pretty much whatever they want at this point, and uh, the Eagles probably aren't quite in their level, but I, I love that this team, the last undefeated team in the league, what is their trademark play? The quarterback sneak. <laughs> Just line up and they get the three feet they need the 36 inches they need and you more often than not cannot stop them uh which also helps when you're that you know you, when you've got a, a call in your pocket like that you can use but um yeah it, it, it that's worth pointing out man you, you make good decisions you put your team in a good place to win uh the other names here i think are pretty much regulars we know dan campbell goes for a lot he is a coach who probably does go for it more than he should um i know there was the big call against new england a couple weeks ago uh, like fourth and nine or something that, that he went through was when at the time was still a close game. And that, that was kind of bizarre. But uh, I, I believe Kevin Stefanski has a track record of going forward on fourth down a lot. And Cliff Kingsbury does this for years, uh, mostly near midfield. I know we've talked about it before. Um, he tends to go and, and, and not just fourth and short, you know, go for fourth and three, fourth and four, fourth and five yards to go. Uh, he just tends to get really, really uh, clamp down in the red zone. Um, they're not against Seattle this week. They had, Three fourth downs and uh, went 0 for 3 on them. Um, so one of the reasons they lost in a really, really weird, clunky game in Seattle. But um, Expecting yeah, to be a shootout uh, ends up with 19-12 game. 19-12, and, 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 and both teams were really good at the things they're usually bad at and vice versa. Um, DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett didn't do much of hardly anything. Instead, it's Marquise Goodwin and D. Eskridge making catches for Seattle, which that never happens. Um <laughs> This is a strange, strange game. And Geno Smith, who's been, you know, Seattle's biggest star, his overall numbers were really weak. So, uh, and, and and despite getting, uh, you know, pro probably his worst game of the year, maybe the San Francisco game, but despite getting a, a, a weak game from Geno Smith, the Cardinals were really never in position to win this game late. So 
anyway. Um, no, none of, the, none of those five names are a huge surprise. And I, I wish McDermott and Sirianni got more credit than they get for being as aggressive as they are. And going back one last thing on Kingsbury, too, I think it was was in his first year in Arizona, he had like four field goals on fourth and one or fourth and two inside the 10 and has gotten a lot more aggressive. You mentioned around midfield, fourth and fives. There was one, a big one last year, I remember. Um, I'm believing it's Minnesota that game. They ended up winning it on a missed field goal by Minnesota. But Arizona had a fourth and five at like the Minnesota 40 or 45, chose to go for it, scored a touchdown. So like, to your point, around midfield, he's gotten better at those inside the 10 at least. I don't think yeah. he kicks too many fourth and one field goals inside the 10, but has really come a long way from his first year in that department. It was, it was his first or second. I think it was his first year. Uh, he was uh, first in fourth down aggression by a lot, by a wide margin. But it's because of all those midfield plays. Um, he had two decisions to kick field goals in short yardage that came out as the worst decision of the entire season and the second worst decision of the entire season. So, yeah, so, so some weird uh, inconsistencies there. And those came just a couple of weeks apart. So he, he's, he's learned his lesson for the most part, it seems like. Looking down at the bottom five, there's some coaches that haven't really learned their lessons, but they're successful. And there's one name that really surprised me on this list. I'm sure you will, will think the same. But we'll start from the 28th uh, ranked Bill Belichick, 16th in 2020, 28th last year, coming in 28th again this year so far. Brian Dable, uh, we've mentioned and talked about him being doing a really good job this year, but fourth downs, been pretty conservative at 29th. Kyle Shanahan at 30th. Dennis Allen down there in New Orleans in his first year at 31st. Dead last in critical call index. Fourth down decision-making this year is Andy Reid. He's being a lot more conservative. They're still winning games, obviously. They have a very good offense. But uh, not sure what's going on there. Yeah, I'm going to just go, go through those names from the top here. Bill Belichick is probably more conservative because of the his starting quarterback was struggling, and now he's down to a third stringer who's played much better than anyone could have hoped for. Um, but still, you know, like I said, does not put pressure on the the youngster, the 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 low drafted rookie with a little experience. Let's just uh, uh, not beat ourselves. Which brings me to Brian Dable. As I mentioned, he's he's winning by being conservative and uh, making the most of opportunities they have. Don't waste opportunities. Take the points when they're there. So he's so he's kicking a lot. And and if you had Daniel Jones as your quarterback, you probably wouldn't want him to convert a lot of fourth downs either. Kyle Shanahan, we've talked about. He's always low in this. He he's, doesn't go for fourth down very often. It's a little surprising for a running team. But then you look at how his team's doing short yardage, and they're not very good, so that makes a, a little more sense. Dennis Allen's a little surprising because the one thing the Saints have done very well this year is running the ball, and especially Taysom Hill running the ball out of uh, wild Taysom or option packages. Um, and that's, a, that's you know, direct snap to, to, to our – big physical freak and just let him run for a yard since like a very obvious thing you could do. Um, so I'm a little surprised he's on there. Andy Reid blows me away. I don't know. Um, maybe it's because there's, he was still going through a, a relearning phase of how his offense looks without Tyreek Hill. And, uh, you know, it's, it's worse than it was. There's no doubt about that. But uh, he still has Patrick Mahomes. still has a deep core of running backs. Uh, I believe the offensive line is still playing well. So I can't, really can't explain it. And I know we've, this is kind of a uh, beating a dead horse, but when he does go for it, instead of letting Patrick Mahomes win the game, he wants to go with a fake punt against Tennessee or uh, Indianapolis. And it may have been a field goal, but it was a fake kick. And uh, it didn't work, didn't look good, didn't make any sense at the time, doesn't make any sense now. So even when he is aggressive, he's doing it in a bad way. And uh, I can't really explain what's going on there. I just, so again, it's been top 10 
uh, or top seven every year in CCI the last couple of years. Go back uh, thing on Bill Belichick too. You mentioned his situation, which is good to point out because mentioned 28th last year, 16th year before, but in 2019, the last year with Tom Brady, he was, I believe, seventh in aggressiveness because he had a, a good team, much better quarterback than he's had the last few years. So that's not surprising. And then Kyle Shanahan, for me, I think it kind of turned on, I think it was that 2019 season as well, maybe 2018. Um, he was like top three, I think, in our overall coach rankings up until the last few weeks. And there was a game against, I believe it was Atlanta, where he went for it to, with a chance to ice the game instead of kicking a field goal maybe. Didn't get it. Atlanta went down the field and got one of their few wins that year. Uh, and it seemed like from that point on, that season and then into the following seasons, he hasn't gone for as much. Like you said, shows up pretty low on the, these rankings a lot. I, I can't imagine one decision in one game would really change his philosophy that much. But that's kind of what it seems like. I remember him being very aggressive up until that point. Yeah, uh, you know, those things weigh on you. Um, it, it, can, it can be hard to, to, to shake those effects. So, um, yeah, at, at this point, it's a track rec record. It's established. It's what we should expect. I know, you know, Bill, Be Bill Belichick, you mentioned he was way more aggressive when he had Tom Brady. Don't forget the young Tom Brady was also very, very effective on the quarterback sneak. So that that was a, that gave him an edge in that, in that department. And uh, I don't know if uh, Mac Jones and Bailey Zappi are as good at that as Brady used to be. Definitely not Tom Brady. We know that. So no, no, no. we'll see if some of these coaches can improve. I would expect McDermott, Kingsbury, those top five to stay up near the top. Uh, and the rest of those, you know, we're only six games through. We've got a lot of chance to move forward uh, or move up in these rankings. But at this point, they kind of kind of are who you are, except for Andy Reid. He's going to be the one I'm paying attention to the most. Uh, I think a lot of people are to see how they do as we get, get through the rest of the season. So that takes us into our best matchups for week seven. We've got the two best teams and a handful of fantasy stars out on by this week. A lot of good teams, Buffalo, Philly, Minnesota, the Rams all on by. Hopefully the Rams can, can figure, figure things out in the, in the bye week. But which matchup that is being played this week, teams that are not on by, are you most looking forward to this weekend? So you mentioned a lot of the best teams, a lot of the best players are off the table this week. They're, they're, they're going to be on the couch, watch the games with the rest of us. So I'm going to go with a very oddball game here as a matchup to look forward to. I'm going to go with the New York Jets and the Denver Broncos in the Battle of the Wilsons. Uh, the Jets are one of the more surprising teams. We're up there with the Giants and Falcons at 4-2. and two. They are 3-0 and oh since Zach Wilson returned. But if you break it down, Wilson himself is not actually playing very well. Uh, now he's going to face the number one defense against the pass in DVOA, so that's not a good matchup for him. It'll be interesting to see how he uh fares against you know his, his toughest matchup so far uh but then of course i'm mostly interested in this week in nathaniel hackett so uh for those of you who are watching the thursday night game at uh against indianapolis or, or, or uh the chargers excuse me uh the monday night game against the chargers uh you have my condolences and actually the colts game too now that i think about it but, uh coming out of that game, game <laughs> what's that any denver game basically <laughs> any denver game and any, any denver game in the future but uh, coming out of that game, Latavius Murray had 15 carries for Denver. Melvin Gordon only had three. Uh, he's apparently benched. When they talked to him after the game, he seemed to have no idea why. He had no idea what was going on. His communication gaps there. But then just like an hour or so before we started recording this, the Broncos like announced that Melvin Gordon is still their starter. So it looked like he had been benched. It looked like maybe he was going to be trade bait. Now they're putting him... Still in the starting lineup, they insist, even though you know he's getting out-touched five to one by Latavius Murray. 
so there's, there's more communication breakdowns there. There's more the right hand not knowing what the left hand is doing, making a mess of things that should be really easy. And uh, you know, there's a lot of a lot of problems with this Denver offense right now. We're getting un you know un, untouched pass rushers coming through for sacks over and over again. But one of the problems they have is that in the second half of that game, they got very, very, very predictable. And I think his last three or four drives they had, including overtime, were all run on first down, run on second down, incomplete on third down kick. And uh, one easy way to make your offense just a little bit better is to not be so predictable. Switch things up once in a while. Throw a curveball. Throw a change. Do something. So the defenses know exactly what you're going to do every single snap. So there you go. My very surprising, potentially ugly matchup of the week, the New York Jets against the Denver Broncos. I was, speaking of Mel, that Melvin Gordon situation, I was thrilled to see that because I, in my home league, was going against uh, Melvin Gordon in fantasy. I was down like nine. And I had Justin Herbert. So when I saw Melvin Gordon not on the field, I'm like, all right, I'm going to win this game. Of course, Justin Herbert ends up uh, having the dud of all duds this week. Didn't get in the end zone. Had 230-something yards. Uh, had a few drop deep passes. Uh, some of them were on pass interference, but still ended up losing them by like one point. So that was a little frustrating. Uh, real tough, but uh, to your point, Melvin, I was going to, I hadn't, wasn't sure if you'd seen that because I saw that come through that he is starting again now. So who knows what's going on there for me, though? Exactly. Yeah, what's that? Exactly. Who knows what's going on? Uh, yeah. No one in Denver does. <laughs> Absolutely. It's, we're just, they're just as confused as we all are. But, for me, the game as a Packers fan, it's Green Bay at Washington. They've had two really tough losses in a row. Uh, they looked like they weren't even ready to play football last week. I, you know, maybe coming back from London, uh, we saw Minnesota kind of have a little bit of a letdown. They still won their game coming back though against Detroit. But the offense, it's just weird. It's one week, you know, they they use AJ Dillon, uh, and the next week they use Aaron Jones, and they don't use AJ Dillon hardly at all. The next week they don't really use either of them. Um, on the Pat McAfee show yesterday, Aaron Rodgers saying, obviously, we need to get Aaron Jones. We need to get 33 more involved. Team's game plan again. We got to find ways for him. So the offense, it just seems like they're changing things up each week and nothing's really working. So I'm interested to see how they come out against Washington, a defense that uh, has been much easier to throw on than run so far this year. And DVOA, I think they're top 10 against the run and like 18th or 20th, uh, just below average against the pass. So it could be a big game for Rodgers to, to get the offense going, hopefully. But we'll see. And then on the other side, obviously, Taylor Heineke taking over at quarterback for Washington. He's he's had shown some some bursts and been good, almost beat the Buccaneers in the playoffs a few years ago. Um, I don't necessarily think he's going to turn this team around and suddenly they're going to be be competitive, especially the NFC East. It's going to be a, a very tough yeah. division for them to come back in. But those are that's what I'm looking most looking forward to, both from a, a biased fans perspective and just – in general, watching, you know, a, a new quarterback versus one of the, the best quarterbacks in the league who struggled so far. Yeah, the, the Taylor Heineke will be an interesting matchup there. And, you know, I, like I'm with you. I don't think he'll be a solution. And, you know, Washington doesn't think this is, he'll be the solution. That's why they tried something new with going to get Carson Wentz. But I don't think the drop-off is going to be that severe either. Uh, the, the defense for Green Bay is another thing. Looking see if they can be better uh, against – anybody really they've they've really <laughs> struggled it seems like uh we've talked about on various shows so far uh yeah Carson Wentz had a couple big games and then had some tough games against tough defenses but uh to your point I don't think the, the drop-off will be as big either as people might expect it um so we'll see though I mean it, like we said any given Sunday 
anything can happen in the NFL. Everyone's pretty pretty close together this week, so uh, we'll have to wait and see. That'll do it for this week's Coach Ranking Show. Before we do go, don't forget you can get a free $100 from Underdog Fantasy using promo code OUTSIDERS, even in states where that traditional prop betting is not available. So you can get a deposit match up to $100 using promo code OUTSIDERS. Also, don't forget to sign up for FO Plus at footballoutsiders.com slash subscribe for NFL betting picks, fantasy advice, premium stats, premium articles, and you get an ad-free experience as well as getting access to all of the data on Monday instead of waiting till Tuesday for the data, even the data that is free, uh, free to access. And last but certainly not least, join us on the Football Outsiders Discord for in-game conversation for every game starting Thursday night between what's that, this Thursday, the Cardinals and the Saints on Thursday night. DeAndre Hopkins back, so we'll see if he can can help that Arizona offense. Uh, we've got Robbie Anderson coming in now too, but don't hold your breath on that one. So join us there on the Discord and join us here next week for our Week 8 edition of the Coach Ranking Show. Thanks for listening, Vince. Thanks for joining me as always. Thanks, everyone, for having me. Let's do it again next week.